subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. This podcast is powered by the pros at Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. Arkansas owned, Arkansas operated. GoPascal.com. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Bud Light, proud sponsor of Arkansas Athletics. I'm always high on the hogs, you guys. I'm high. Well, I'm not high right now, but my day is young. My odometer's way up there. I'm that 2018 that's already got 130,000 miles on it. The Razorbacks rush across the field to get that boot. Tommy, Chuck, and Ty, you guys are the gold standards of sports talk radio. He bleeds to Arkansas. Ty's got good hair. Chuck, welcome in. I know the the Ballantine family is is hurting this morning. I got a chance to meet Charles's wife uh, two years ago, and you just you feel nothing but um, just sadness for what what occurred yesterday. Yeah, really sad. I mean, when I heard the news, I was just floored. Uh, number one, Charles is a young man. Uh, Charles and I were the same age. And so, uh, but you know, he was just such a wonderful ambassador, just a great guy. Uh, you know, the one thing about players like that is they come from small towns. You know, Charles came from a small town in Arkansas, and we've we've joked at times that when a player from a small town in Arkansas goes to play for the Razorbacks, the whole town comes with him. And that certainly was the case with Charles. And, you know, when you hit a shot like he did, and I saw this working with Scotty uh, for a number of years, when you hit a shot like that, it defines your life. You carry it with you forever. You carry people's memories with them forever. And I know that Charles Ballantyne, for virtually every day of his life, probably not virtually, but exactly every day of his life, from the day he hit that shot until the moment he passed, he got asked about that every single day. Now, he always handled it with grace. He always handled it in the way that you hoped your hero would handle it. And he talked to people like it was the first time he'd ever been asked. And he'd been asked a million times. And, you know, when you think about someone like Charles, and um, you know, we talked about this when Mallet died, that, you know, they give us something. And their families freely allow it. These are kids. They're, you know, kids just like we were. And, um... They share their talent, and we get to talk about it our entire lives. They've given us thrills we'll never be able to describe that stay with us the rest of our lives. And so when something like this happens, um, there is going to be an outpouring of emotion. I remember exactly where I was, exactly where I was. The chair I was sitting in, the way I jumped out of the chair, where I was standing in the room when Steve Hale's shot went off the rim that Al McGuire called good. Um, I remember all that, and I looked at that picture last night, and there's Joe Klein in the background and Alvin Robertson in the background, and all of a sudden, I was, I was 22, 23 years old again, and I think that's what happens when you relive those moments, and so um, just feel awful for the family, but I hope they do, and I said this when Mallet died, I hope the family understands how grateful we are that they shared their talents with us and we got to watch it and they gave us thrills that as i said a minute ago will last a lifetime and so when something like this happens it is it is very sad and you know it's it's hard to to understand i mean no one in my family has left a legacy that touched as many people as 
as Razorbacks often get a, a chance to do. And I, I don't know if that's comforting in a moment like this to know that, hey, uh, our, our loved one did something here that impacted and, and, and will live on in the memories of so many people. That, that, would, that would comfort me, uh, I think, a little bit more as, as, you, as you heal from this. I believe it does. Uh, I believe it does. It doesn't make the loss no. felt any less. But, yes, I think there's some comfort in knowing that. I mean, you think about, and I'll, again, I'll, I'll go back to, you know, working with Scotty and being around Charles some, minimally, but being around Scotty a good bit. Um, you have to have something inside you that allows you to be graceful in all those moments. And Charles had that. Uh, he was just incredibly gracious with people and willingly gave of his attention. And that's what people want. When they come up to the players and they come up to their sports heroes, we're all this way. We just want them to look us in the eye for a couple of minutes, say thanks, you know. Uh, thanks for coming by. Thanks for saying hello. Um, that's not always easy to do for these guys. Because your mind is in a certain spot. And you're thinking about what you got to do. And somebody comes up and they want to relive one of the most special moments in their life with you. You've got to have the patience and the graciousness to do that. And Charles had it. And not everybody does. And so that was a great gift that he shared with us. And, um, but that moment, that shot, until there was Scotty Thurman shot, that was the shot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, until Scotty hit the shot to beat Duke, if you talked in Razorback vernacular to Arkansas fans and you said, what's the shot? Well, it's when Charles Ballantyne beat North Carolina. Yeah. Um, then Scotty hit the shot. But both of them will live forever. And, and tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, but the legend of that story grows, kind of like a, a fishtail. It got bigger as Michael Jordan's fame got bigger. Is that, is that right or wrong? No doubt about it. I mean, no doubt about because it. Because you beat the goat, the greatest of all mm -hmm. time. I mean, it, I mean that that made that moment even more special as Jordan got to to the, to a level that was unimaginable at that moment. You know, that's an interesting point because at the time they didn't beat Michael Jordan; they beat North Carolina. Right. Michael Jordan averaged seventeen a game. Only guy that could ever hold Michael Jordan under twenty was Dean Smith. Um, but <laughs> you know, they didn't. Uh, um, you place. know, well, and I'm joking. I'm a Dean. I, I was a Dean Smith fan. One of my favorites of all time. Uh, that's an old joke. But um, at the time, it was not about beating Michael Jordan. It was about beating Dean Smith in North Carolina. It was about all that happened in that 24-hour period. They played SMU the day before, and mm -hmm. uh, storms, you know, had had made the the. And back then, you flew in little private planes, little little small planes. Mm -hmm. You didn't fly a big charter like you do now. Until the Oklahoma State crash, uh, most basketball teams traveled in a series of small planes. Like as a sidebar, Nolan Richardson would never travel on the same plane with notes. They always flew on different planes. But back in the day, that's how basketball teams traveled. I don't know how many planes they had. I'm going to guess a couple, maybe three, and maybe four. I don't know. But they flew into a storm um, and landed in Pine Bluff that morning. The game was at noon. It wasn't like this was a 4 o'clock game. or a, you know, This was a mm -hmm. noon yeah. game on Sunday. And so, um, you know, it, it was just um, – I guess, you know, I remember Coach Sutton said at the time, everything happened so fast, nobody had a chance to be nervous. 
uh, because you're more nervous about whether or not the plane was going to land than playing North Carolina. Playing North Carolina was a breeze. We just wanted to get on the ground. And so just all the things that went into that game and that day, um, again, make just, just add to the lore. And you don't really have to embellish because all that stuff was true. Yeah. I remember uh-huh. Joe Klein being on with us and talking about, you know, everybody was getting sick and looking <laughs> – Looking for those bags, you know, and it was just because, like you said, it's a rough ride coming in from Texas uh, in that storm, and and um, everything should have set up for the for the Razorbacks to just get handled that day, but they didn't. Well, that was just you know I can remember after the game, Al McGuire interviewing Eddie Sutton, and um, you know Coach Sutton was always so good um, on camera after games, and um, like I say, I mean. For those of us who are of the age to remember, we remember it just like we remembered Scotty's shot, where we were, who we were with, uh, the chair we were sitting in. I can tell you where the chair I was sitting in is right now. <laughs> and uh, um, so, I mean, it's um, this is how we mark time. You know, when you've got a favorite team and you follow them your whole life, in many respects, it's how you mark time. And 1984 Pine Bluff Convention Center is one of those indelibly etched dates in our minds. We'll remember it forever because – and Charles gave us that moment. And you probably got to be – I'm not old enough to, to remember where I was. I mean, what I was, I guess, seven years old, eight years old, something like that. Um, you probably got to be in your mid-50s, early to mid-50s. It's 1984. You uh, probably remember exactly where you were. So. I was uh, I was 23. You know, as I said, Charles and I uh, same age. So um, yeah, I was uh, legally an adult, <laughs> far from it emotionally. But um, I remember I remember that period very very well, and what great teams those were. Joe Klein played on the Olympic team, and Alvin Robertson was part of all that. So that was a great great era, and uh, Charles gave us a moment we'll never forget. Yes, yeah. go ahead. Uh, Sean and Rogers, like yourself, Chuck, and uh, you might have been just graduated, but he was a senior. He texted on the McCarty Daniel hotline. He was a senior at the University of Arkansas when that went down, when that shot went in. And you guys were talking about Pine Bluff. Dean Smith didn't want to come to Barnhill. The backstory on that is Smith didn't want to come to Barnhill. And I don't know why he thought it would be any easier to come to Pine Bluff and beat Arkansas there. Maybe it's, I mean, still at Arkansas, you're still going to have a rabid Razorback fan base, but that's why that game was played in Pine Bluff because they technically wanted it to be a neutral site game, even though it was anything but that. And back then, North Carolina called all the shots. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were doing, I'm sure in their minds and, and, you know, from the outside world's minds, hey, they were doing us a favor. You know, they were doing us a favor. This was a TV game. TV would set it up. But, hey, how many times do you have North Carolina come to Pine Bluff? You know, or, or, or you know, and, 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 and back then, again, North Carolina ruled the roost. You know, Dean Smith ruled the roost. He was Nick Saban back then. And so for them to come to Arkansas and play a game was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, hey, the Razorbacks were laying in wait for him that day. And it was a, uh, it was a great moment. Yeah. And, and again, you know, sometimes as fans – we reminisce and it's fun and i mean boy you feel that you know i feel it this morning i mean the, you know your hair stand up you know stands up a little bit when you think about all those memories but 
um, you know, these are human beings that took part in this, and they age, and they die, and it's sad. And a part of us goes with them. And so uh, um, just just feel bad for everyone this morning. You guys were talking about it was more about North Carolina and Dean Smith relative to Michael. Now, Michael hit that shot in 82, which everyone remembers, and he was one of the better players in college basketball the, that year along with Akeem. But North Carolina had six guys drafted from that team. Six. Dorian, oh, that's a great team. Dorian and the rest of those guys. So, again, it wasn't just, hey, we have to stop Michael Jordan. It was a, a team effort. And they had um, one of the one of the heroes in that game was uh, for Arkansas was a guy that came off the bench that went six for six. Darryl Bedford, yeah. baby. 12 points. And all these North Carolina guys are like, who's this? Like, we didn't scout for this North guy. North Carolina guys, Razorback yeah. fans yeah, were yeah. saying that. <laughs> it wasn't just North Carolina guys. That's saying the same thing. But Bedford was, had his best game as a Razorback. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that was uh, – Picked the right moment. Again, it was, it was just one of those magical days. I can see him. They, they kept giving him open shots from around the free throw line in the elbow, and he kept making them. Yeah. Maybe we'll – you know, as we, as we talk about the p- passing of Charles Ballantyne throughout the morning, maybe we can talk about – and I, cause as you were describing it, talk about Scotty, I, I think about Scotty Thurman's shot. I think about Brady Toop's home run. I think about Ballantyne. And because you were describing it accurately, those moments that changed their life forever. And there's not but just a handful of those in, in Razorback history. And those are the first three that come to mind. Maybe, well, and maybe absolutely. we can talk about that a little bit more. Absolutely. Those are, uh, uh, those are three guys that, again, when, when those moments happened, uh, they didn't realize it then. But it was going to be the defining moment in at least their Arkansas life. Brady Toops was not from Arkansas, moved away from Arkansas. Scotty Thurman wasn't from Arkansas, but he spent his life or has spent his life here. Charles Ballantyne lived it from the time he was old enough to breathe. And so, um, you know, you carry that. And I know the people in Newport feel it in a real personal way. Um there's a gentleman over there that is is uh, a broadcaster and a man about town, uh, David Black, who I've known for a long time, and he posted something last night on Facebook. He talked about how he shared it with us. You know, when you come from a small town and you go away and you make it big, so to speak, and believe me, when you're from Newport, Arkansas, and you hit a game winner for the Razorbacks, you've made it big. Um, and to carry that and to go back to your town and to share that with them and to allow them to experience your joy. I mean, that's a, again, that's a gift. You don't have to do that. And not everyone's equipped to do that. But obviously, the, the, uh, the rearing and the raising that he got in that town, the whole town evidently raised him mm-hmm. because everybody that I know from over there is a lot like him, and they're all good people. And so... Um, you know, Charles really shared that with his town, and I know they took a lot of pride in that. Hey, I want to pause just for a second and talk to you about my friends at Weicker Realtors, the Griffin Company. If you're buying or selling a home, these are the guys you need to talk to. Really, they're the only guys you need to talk to. You want to deal with somebody that knows what they're doing, somebody that when you ask them a question, they've got an answer. You don't want somebody that's going to say, well, I don't know. Let me go back and look into that and ask my manager. You want somebody who can answer the question right then, who can go to bat for you in those moments when, you know, things are on the line, so to speak. And real estate deals turn into things like that sometimes, and that's why you need a pro. That was my experience. I partnered with them to buy a home, sell a home. 
they answered all my questions. I had a lot of them. I didn't know what I was doing. Fortunately, they did. And I think that'll be your experience, too. They've got an office in Fayetteville. They're in Springdale, Bentonville, Fort Smith, servicing Missouri now out of Branson. And you can always log on to WikerGriffin.com. Got a text on here from the McCarty Daniel Hotline. This is from Hog Mafia. He was 16 when Charles hits that shot. If you want to text us, call us throughout the morning, share some memories. And it wasn't just that big victory. Charles actually spoke openly about this. He said the victory against Houston at the tail end of the season, five slam and jamma, Hakeem Olajuwon, where Joe fouled him out, was actually his favorite win from 1984. So we have plenty of memories to get into this morning. I know Eddie in Clarksville wants to to share one of them. Eddie, you're on the morning rush, man. Your thoughts on Charles Ballantyne passing it at the age of 60 last night. Yeah, very sad to hear that. He certainly was an ambassador for our, for our basketball program. What a great player. And who can remember, you know, in the Pine Bluff Convention Center, his last second shot to beat the one of the greatest teams ever assembled on a basketball court, the North Carolina Tar Heels and Mr. Michael Jordan. What a great player. Very saddened. Uh, my heart goes out to the fan base. It goes out to the people, his his uh, his family. And, I mean, uh, very sad. What a, what, when you talk about an ambassador, what does an ambassador do? Well, he represents. And so he represented our basketball program in great fashion. But today I'm calling in, you know, I'm getting pumped. I want to talk about a home. I want to tell you another uh, player that had it. And now, you know, I go down memory lane in a football program, and he's a host uh, now with Phil Wilson on the halftime show. You know he was an all-time leader for touchdowns at the U of A. You know what he had? He had 77. He rushed at th- uh, for almost 9,000 yards. He all- Here's another stat. He be- at one time, to t- Mr. Tebow broke his record. He was an all-time Lead rusher in the SEC, which reason why I'm calling in today. You know who sat at, at 67 touchdowns? It's our quarterback, Mr. K.J. Jefferson, sitting at 67 right now. And I believe this, Chuck, come by the end of the third game this year, he's going to shatter that record. And I'm getting pumped. So the reason I'm calling in today, I know it's a sad day. But for fan base, put this in your coffee this morning. Did you see the interview with Marty and McGee with Mr. KJ? They asked him this. Why'd you come back this year? You know what the man said? He didn't break an eye. He's got the mentality to do it. His attitude, his mindset is right. He said, I come back. I got some unfinished business on the playing field. I'm coming back. Woo! To represent this fan base. I'm coming back to be an ambassador. And so I went to my record collection this morning. Fanbase, put this in your coffee because the campaign has begun. And what is a campaign? Well, it's an organized effort to achieve a goal. He's coming back to be the all-time leading quarterback at the UNA. He's going to lead our football program to the best season we've had since 2011. How about that? So I cranked up, went to my record collection. Let's crank up a little MC Hammer. You can't touch this. And then I went to Tetratronic. Pop it, pump up the jam, baby, because the campaign has begun.
Eddie, thanks for your call. Eddie's ready. Yeah. Eddie's ready. I don't yeah. think uh, I don't think Matt Jones rushed for nine thousand yards, but we'll uh, <laughs> we'll let that live in lore just for a second. And you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that Marty and McGee interview, Eddie, because Sam Pittman said something eerily similar at the tail end of his press conference. I don't have the clip on hand, but said something. KJ felt like he had unfinished business. I'm paraphrasing there. He. He feels like he has something to prove as well, not just to NFL scouts, GMs, and executives, but to college football after getting injured injured last year. So I love that mentality, and I hope he plays with it every game, particularly he plays in every game this fall. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like, you know, K.J. wants to prove he can be a professional football player. Um, I think, you know, that's one of the things that burns inside him. Now, for him to do that, he's going to have to have great success here. We're going to share in all that, probably win a bunch of games, and everything will be great. Um, But I can assure you that in his soul of souls, he wants to play in the National Football League, and he wants to prove to some people this year that he can. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, lifelong dream, but, you know, that's where the money's at. I mean, that's why you want to go do it. Well, but here's the thing, though, Tommy, and you know this. As we grow older, we start thinking about money. When you're playing as a kid, you're not thinking about money. You're thinking about playing and the fans cheering for you. Three, two, one, hits the shot. That's what you think about mm-hmm. when you're a kid. As you get older, that's when the money part comes into it. But I, I don't think any nine-year-old kid playing in the yard fantasizing about being in the NFL, I don't think money's first thing they think about. Maybe their parents, but I don't think it's maybe, I, don't, I don't I don't think it's them. Maybe not at nine, but I'm afraid NIL has changed that. No, I, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I'm saying as a child, yeah. when you talk about you know dreaming of playing in the NFL, yeah. I don't know that 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 money no, is no. the first thing you think about. Well, no, you wanted to be Joe Montana when you were my age. I'm sure there's a lot of kids that want to be Tom Brady right now. Well, Chuck, when uh, it's like you hit a shot like Michael Jordan when. Yeah, in that in that in your, on your goal in your driveway when I was a kid, you do the the countdown. And either say MJ or Kobe, whichever was your favorite growing up. I know when Chuck. I know that was when, past my time. How many, how many, how many times <laughs> did the, how many times you stand at the plate in your cul-de-sac or your your neighborhood and two outs, bottom of the ninth, game seven of the World Series? I mean, you. Uh, you know? my, my my favorite all-time commercial. I don't know who it was for. I did it a million times. Three, two, one. You missed the shot. But he was foul, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, you know, and 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 then you'd go to the free throw line. You missed. He stepped in the lane. He gets one more shot. Everybody did that. God, just uh, make it make it your own. Well, that's uh, definitely something. I didn't, Chuck. I know this. I know when Tommy's watching Dylan practice outside, he's uh, he's thinking about that scholarship and that tuition money. He's not going to have to pay in six or seven yeah. years. When he goes up to fed. Well, I hope his dad's not coaching him. I hope they got some kind of outside instruction going on here. Well, they brought a guy in from Texas, so we're going to see how this goes. He's got oh, a new all right, coach good. Be good. Yeah, they didn't even get to go outside yesterday. It was so I mean, it's so hot right now. They're practicing in the gym. That's like the wow, the worst. They they don't play football in the gym. You know, it's kind of hard to practice in there. I'm sure. During the summer months, I know many of you are active, go into the lake, go into the beach, and if you want to live a healthier lifestyle and look better on these occasions, then I've got just the meal kit for you. It's Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and you can get 50% off your order right now using the code 
HTL50. Just go to factormeals.com slash HTL50 and get 50% off. You're going to save trips to the grocery store. Your meals are going to be ready in about two minutes. They're fresh, never frozen. Plus, they have over 34 weekly restaurant options like bruschetta shrimp risotto and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. They have keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie options. Don't forget about breakfast and start your day right with Factor. Take 50% off right now. Factormeals.com slash HTL50. That's Factormeals.com slash HTL50 and get 50% off. Call or text the McClarty Daniel hotline at 877-377-6963. McClarty Daniel, a vehicle for every lifestyle. When you're looking for a new car, you want to shop for a vehicle you love with an organization you trust. You've probably heard that McCarty Daniel means making deals, but what I'm inspired by the most is that McCarty Daniel means making a difference in our community. When you buy a vehicle with McCarty Daniel, you reinvest right here in the community, in our schools, in our little leagues, in our food banks, and our people. So you're not just making a purchase, you're making a difference too. Come see us at any of our six locations in Northwest Arkansas. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Bud Light, proud sponsor of Arkansas Athletics. We're going to talk to Tom Murphy coming up and just say, you, you've said something there about Charles Valentine a couple of times that made me think about a conversation Ty and I were having yesterday with Nick. We, we stopped in for, for lunch at Herman's and he was talking about this before we knew about Charles's passing He's talking about the first time he had met Paul Eels. And you, you, you're talking about the graciousness and 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 the impact of, of what Charles did on with that shot with most people's lives. Paul Eels was the same way, and you know this better than any of us, Chuck. When you met Paul for the first time, he, he made you feel like it was the most important thing that had happened to him all day. And Nick was talking about being a, a dishwasher and, 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 and scared to death to ask Paul for his autograph. And Paul asked... Nick for his autograph, dude. But, but, but I, I just it, that, that that conversation from yesterday it, it tripped my trigger on what you were saying because it does take a special person to have that graciousness and to, and to be willing to spend the time and hey that conversation I'm having with you for the millionth time you're having it I'm having it for the first time and you make me feel like it's the most important part of your day. Um, you know, Paul was very good at that. Charles was obviously very good at that. From what you're saying. You have to give people their moment. That's the responsibility. Right. That's the flip side. You enjoy acclaim. You enjoy things that most people don't enjoy. Um, you have to give people their moment. And they were all good at that. And that's part of the responsibility. And some people can handle it. Some people can't. Charles could. Yeah. I think the the two interactions that I had with him was when we had him on the show and he's gracious enough in his time before Arkansas beat Gonzaga, which was kind of a cool value. And then also watching a game right next to him against Mississippi state when that kicker missed all those kicks. And what I was, what I liked about Charles is he was, and I guess he would have been 58 at the time. 
He was going nuts. Like this guy yeah. wasn't just a Razorback basketball fan. Charles was a Razorback football fan. And I'm sitting next to my buddy and he's like, do you know how that is? And I was like, I think it's Charles Ballantyne. But I didn't want to bother him. Like mm-hmm. he's at a football game. He's trying to he's trying to watch it with his wife. But again, to go back to what you're saying, he was kind enough to go back down memory lane, talk about that moment, and talk about not just that moment, but the various other things that meant that. It season. did make you feel like you were imposing. No, yeah. and I, he was again, yeah, and, and that's a, that's not easy for everyone to do. But Charles definitely had that in him. Beyond being a Razorback basketball player, he was in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You know, he was raised here. He rooted for the Razorbacks when he was four or five years old. Um, you know, he, he was kind of like the rest of us, I'm sure, in that, you know, we were 13, 14 years old before Razorback basketball became a phenomenon. Before that, it was Razorback football. Most of us don't have memories. I'm 60 years old. I don't have memories of cheering for the Razorbacks in basketball when I was eight or nine years old. We didn't know there was a team. Or if we did, we didn't know anybody besides Dean Tolson and Martin Terry. And that's just the truth. And um, so, you know, Charles was an Arkansan, and he knew what it meant to people because he was that little kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that, that's, you know, maybe that's the key to it all. I don't know. I want to play this clip real quick before we get to Tom. So even 20, 30, 35, 39 years later, he still got chills when he heard that call. You know, guys, thank y'all for inviting me. Thank y'all for having me. And hello, Razorback Nation. Man, that brings chills every time I hear that. <laughs> hear that <laughs> and then I hear about what we, what we ridiculed him afterwards. So for him, again, it's it's a moment that a lot of you have shared that you remember exactly where you were this morning. But that's something that stays with him throughout time. And it's still something that he gets goosebumps to every time he hears that call. You know, he said Al McGuire's name. You know, McGuire was there for that game. I mean, Dick Enberg and Al McGuire, let me tell you, it got no bigger than Dick Enberg and Al McGuire in that era for in uh, that era for a college basketball game. McGuire's the one that came up with the term triplets. He's the first one to call uh, Moncrief, Delph, and Brewer the triplets. So there was a connection, in a way, with the Razorback fan base. And for Al McGuire to be there was a big deal. I mean, he was the outspoken voice in college basketball then. He was the one that... You know, if Al McGuire said you weren't going to be any good, you pin that on your bulletin board. If Al McGuire said you were going to be great, it meant you got the affirmation of affirmations. And so um, I just thought it was interesting to hear Al McGuire's name there because I don't know of anyone who discusses that day who doesn't mention the fact that Al McGuire was there. He was that big a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, uh, again, I watched the full game in its entirety couple months back and just listening to that whole game of watching was pretty cool all right let's go to the McClarty Daniel hotline where Tom Murphy is waiting Tom we will discuss some some football news coming up with Sam Pittman's press conference yesterday but just kind of your initial thoughts to uh, Charles Ballantyne dying at the age of 60 yesterday yeah that one hurts um and I I was just reading um a piece Matt Jones had written for uh whole hog sports ADG about the the shot and we ran a picture um and it's from it's like from midcourt and you see michael jordan raising his arm up as if man i wish i was defending or like oh that guy you know he lost his man and i believe matt doherty is the one who lost his man um and the shot went up over sam perkins so i mean these were all future nba dudes that the razorbacks beat that day and when you have that moment i i, I mean it's like when you bump into us reed you know he hit the 
the shot to beat Louisville, and that's what people want to ask him about, and it it pins something on them, and it's it's it lasts for the rest of your life, and so it's a sad day for Razorback fans. And Tom, when you when you think about just Arkansas basketball with what that shot was, we've referenced some some big shots. U.S. Reed, Scotty Thurman, and that one as well. And again, it's it's etched in lore and something that Arkansas fans will never forget. And I know again when the the article that that Matt wrote, this is just something that you have all these different thoughts going in and the memories. And it's not just about what was done on the court, but off the court too. Correct. And yeah, I mean, you know, when you, when you're around Dudley who, you know, Newport guy proudly, you hear, you hear stories about Charles and what a great dude he was. And so, yeah, it's, it's days like this, you know, when the Razorback family comes together and, you know, you celebrate a guy who, who's been so meaningful and just echoing what Chuck said, he was an Arkansan and everybody in the state, you know, feels that today. And, uh, it's, it, also in Matt's story was how the family was actually Valentine and a clerk somewhere typed in the B, I think as his grandfather was going in the service and it stuck. I mean, I know you can change it back, but they didn't. And so they became Valentine. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it, it, uh, it'll certainly be, you know, when you go around the, the coffee shops and the barber shops and the, and the places where people are talking today, uh, Charles Valentine will be the, uh, the topic of conversation. They, the other thing people will move to as the week moves on, outside of the heat, Tom, will be the talk of Razorback football. Uh, Sam Pimblin spoke with the media yesterday. Uh, I guess we are now, because of the practice time moving, we're less than 24 hours from the first practice that's now tomorrow morning. That's right, and so many interesting things about this team, so many great storylines, and uh, I, for one, will attest to very proud of the fact Sam Pittman moved the practice times. Uh, I, I'm a morning person, and so getting up first thing and going over there and watching practice and then having interviews at nine is right up my alley. So thanks for that. And also, can you imagine practicing at 250 mm. when, I mean, the sun's bearing right down on you and it's 90-something degrees, heat index over 100. Uh, that's that's brutal. Um, and, you know, so there's two sides of this. You talk about you want your team to be tough. So during the summer, they did work out in the afternoons and – you know, you get used to the heat and all that, but you're not in season. And he talks about how in season, if you're out in the sun every day, it's day after day, there's this certain, um, it, it takes a toll on you and fatigue can set in, especially when you're seven, eight games deep into a season. And so now that they're going to have air conditioning, if all goes right next week in the Walker Pavilion, they're going to be able to escape that heat some. So, uh, I mean, I know old timers, the Junction boys, and, and that generation will look that back and or look on this and go, "Oh yeah," you know. But hey, things change. The the games change. People don't tackle to the ground in practice as much, and so taking a little bit off the guys when you can is a big deal, and and that's part of what they're doing here. It'll be a few days of acclimation, then they'll get some shoulder pads on next week, and then full pads. Uh, by the end of next week, and Tom, the the first big scrimmage is a week from Saturday. That's right, and um, you know I hope we get to see a lot of it, if not all of it, but we'll see how that plays out. And there's going to be some position battles. I mean, when you think about the fact that they brought in a Jaheim Thomas and they brought in a Jaheim Singletary, and you think you know these guys should have a shot at making your two deep. Well, they've got a 
they've got to get on the field and learn the systems. And so that's why they're going to practice uh, the way they are. The way Sam Pittman described it was having the starters and then like the newcomers in one field. And so the newcomers can watch how the starters run plays, make, make adjustments, et cetera, and hopefully get them up to speed faster. And then the twos and threes are going to be on another field. That's what he calls two-spotting. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of different positions where um, guys who were not here in the spring are going to have a chance to impact the two deep before they get out of camp. Tom Murphy with us here, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Whole Hog Sports on the McClarty Daniel Hotline. He said something interesting yesterday. Lord knows we owe it to the state of Arkansas to field a really good football team. Tom, he said something similar at SEC Media Days. How do you think he's approached this season with a season last year many or last year many considered to be a letdown? You know, that's to his credit that he understands the what the fans hope for and, you know, want and expect. Um, and when you have a quarterback of KJ's caliber, um, and really, you know, Arkansas had a strong roster. They had a, they had a really good offense, but um, he's pointed this out over and over. The goal line stuff, the short yardage that they didn't convert, mm-hmm. and, and I talk about it on here all the time, about how they could have changed the outcomes of games. Um, if, you, if you push that in against LSU and you're up 10 to nothing, that could change the course of the game. If you push it in against Liberty, you know, don't have the – the pass go from Trey Knox's hand into an interception in the end zone, um, you change the outcome of games. The, the Missouri game, if you push that one in and you take the lead in the fourth quarter, maybe you win that game. And so they've directed a lot of their offseason toward being a better third-down conversion team, being prepared to go on fourth down if you if you don't convert third and short, being, being ha- having a play ready to go on fourth down. So... Um, all these things will play into uh, the way they conduct camp. And Sam Pittman gets the Arkansas fan mentality mm-hmm. and says, we owe it to these fans to have a good team. I mean, that's, you know, he's he's a part of the fabric of Arkansas, um, and he's done that a whole lot better than um, some of his predecessors. And you kind of just summed up what he's trying to get back to. That's old Arkansas football. Got to get back to old Arkansas football, and we started that obviously in January, but I really like where we're at. I like the hunger of the team and things of that nature. We'll have to wait and see, but I don't think it'll affect us much because we got a lot of work to do on ourselves. It's pretty easy to say what that is on offense, Tom, with the running, the ground pound of KJ Rocket, AJ Rashad. What does old Arkansas football look like from a defensive standpoint, in your opinion? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you go back over the years I've been covering the team, and there's only been a few, you know, kind of standout defensive teams. Um, it's all about accruing the amount of talent. Uh, it's, it's about getting defensive tackles who are impact players, ends that can come in and affect quarterbacks. And they did that some last year, but when they didn't, um, um, they gave up a lot of deep passes. I mean, they, there were games where the other team, and, and you think back, Missouri State, Kansas game, um, even like Missouri, where dual threat quarterbacks or guys who, you know, you know, could move around in the pocket and deliver balls downfield, tore them up. So mm-hmm. um, that's the thing. You have to try to develop an identity. And so part of Arkansas's identity was they had school record sacks with Drew Sanders and Jordan Dominic and the like, knock, notching 42 sacks. But the the back part of that was they gave up a ton of passing yardage. So 
um, I don't know, being able to stop short yardage plays on defense is a big deal. And I do believe that the transfer portal era, they're, they're winning it, so to speak. And I think that when you add Booker and some of the, the ends they added, they're going to have a little depth on the defensive front. They're going to have a little, little depth at linebacker. You know, hopefully Jaheim Thomas can come in and impact linebacker rotation. And Pooh Paul and Greer and Thomas and Crooks, they don't have to play. You know, they can rotate around, and they're not playing the amount of reps that Morgan and Hayden Henry got and, and Bumper Poole where they're on the field on almost every play. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that all plays out. they got to get more help at safety, too. To me, I, to me, getting safeties that are going to be impact players, break up passes, you know, are, are cover better than the way they covered last year is a big deal. Tom, good stuff. We'll leave it there, and we'll pick up the conversation on Tuesday after a weekend of practices. Sounds great. See y'all. All right, Tom Murphy, Arkansas Democrat, is up with us on the McClarty-Daniel hotline. Chuck, you kind of referred to the defensive line there. Until this was mentioned yesterday, I had no idea. Nine seniors on the defensive line. You have eight seniors on this basketball roster, but to have nine senior-laden guys on the defensive front is going to be big. I know that's something you've really pointed out this offseason. I like experienced players. I like guys who played, and um, I think that's what gives you a chance. And I mean, football and basketball are different, two different subjects. But um, you know, when you're talking about experience up front, when you're talking about experience anywhere, I mean, that's a um, that's a big deal. So again, I, we've talked some about the defensive line, and I do think that they've got an opportunity to have. Le- you know, I thought they had legit SEC depth last year. Losing Torrey and Carter hurt. Uh, having him back, I think, is going to be a big deal. They got some battles going on, and that's that's going to be an interesting spot to watch over the course of the next month. This text comes in from David in Springdale on the McClarty Daniel Hotline again. Back to our conversation with a Charles Ballantyne shot. He was sitting in Pine Bluff Arena with his dad on the uh, the side of the court where Charles made the shot. He was 17 years old. And he'll never forget that moment. Nathan texted in from Rogers this morning. He's from Northeast Arkansas, over kind of by Newport. And he drove in from Jonesboro at 22 years old and watched that shot and made that even better that it was a, a guy from that area that hit the shot over, at the time, number one and undefeated North Carolina. Vince is watching us on YouTube this morning. He texted in uh, on our YouTube chat. Hey, I was in sixth grade and watched the whole game with my dad at the house I grew up in. It was a you know the most memorable win. I I think all everybody's reliving these moments and these memories this morning. Keep those coming to us on the McClarty Daniel Hotline. Where were you when Charles Ballantyne hit that shot uh, in 1984 on that Sunday in February? Charles has passed away at the age of 60 yesterday. Fantasy football season is here, and Buffalo Wild Wings is your headquarters for your draft party. Buffalo Wild Wings has draft kits that include a draft board and player stickers. You won't go hungry with this dine-in fantasy bundle for your draft party. Get 50 traditional wings, 50 boneless wings, two trays of party wedges, party-sized chips and salsa, and a party queso dip, all for only $150. Plan your fantasy football draft party and get more details at your Buffalo Wild Wings in Fort Smith, Bryant, Little Rock, Sherwood, Conway, and Jonesboro. Buffalo Wild Wings. Beer. Wings. Football. It's Christmas in July. Give your family the gift of true comfort this summer with an HVAC system replacement from Pascal. No packages to unwrap, no batteries to buy, and no assembly required. Financing is available for as low as $99 a month and no money down with up to $2,000 in tax credits and savings. 
Don't wait for December. Get your holiday savings now. Schedule your free estimate today. GoPascal.com. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Bud Light, proud sponsor of Arkansas Athletics. All right, welcome into your hog update. At the age of 60 years old, Charles Ballantyne died yesterday. And one of the unique things that he talked about was his time in Barnhill Arena. And this will take you back. Here's Charles' comments on what it was like to play in Barnhill. The Hogwild Band was at its best when the games was tight. They had this band director by the name of Jim Rockwin. When he came running down those stairs onto that basketball court, Barnhill went into a frenzy. You could not hear yourself because it was so loud. Whenever we needed an extra push and whenever we needed extra support, the fans was always there cheering us on. Coach Sutton always told us, we defend this court for those 10,000 plus fans in that stand. And we knew it was time to play. When, when, when those guys get crazy, it was time for us to tight down. Hey, you know, as he's saying that, I mean, really, I mean, I just got chills thinking about, you know, Barnhill Arena and what it was, what it was like back then. You know, Charles said a little bit earlier in a clip you played that, you know, what he remembered was what happened later that year when they beat five Slamma Jamma. And, uh, by the way, Section C, row 32 for that game, for <laughs> yours truly, I remember. That was an early game, too. That was a noon game. And uh, that's back when, uh, you know, I was at the age that a noon start was an early start. Mm. And so, uh, but, you know, those that was such a great win. There were so many great moments then. And the one thing about it, and – Coach Sutton did a great job, and his wife Patsy did a great job uh, with, you know, she was the one that worked with a lot of those players on uh, how they handled themselves with the media, what they would say. Daryl Walker's a good one to get talking about this sometime. But, um, you know, all of them from that era. You know, you think about Joe, who we're going to visit with in just a little bit. Um, you know, the core of these guys, you can see why they were successful as players and then in life after that. I mean, they're just really solid human beings, and Charles was certainly that Charles was certainly that guy as well. You say the name Jim Ropkin. I, all I can think about is that light bar, that, that light meter bar, that yeah. the louder guy. I don't know if that actually measured crowd noise, but, man, he could work the crowd into a uh, fevered pitch with that light bar. That was Well, uh, that became the competition yeah. during the timeout yeah. was how high you could, you know, could you max out on that. And, the uh, original decibel meter. So. You know, I can. Uh, I had an office in Barnhill for a number of years, and I can tell you that, um, you know, you kind of walk through that thing. Jim Robkin knew all the trails. He knew how to, you know, he would disappear, and then at the magical moment, right at the end of William Tell, he'd reemerge out of one of those uh, <laughs> out of one of those tunnels. And there were a lot of a lot of nooks and crannies in Barnhill, and lots of ways to get around in areas that, you know, if you knew the shortcut, there was generally a shortcut, and he always did. And he always reemerged right at the very moment when they were right at the end of William Tell and the light meter was maxing out. Robkin would reemerge and the, they'd blow the roof off the place. <laughs> awesome days. Yeah, it was. Awesome days. It was. Now, have they announced, uh, I know they've announced a lot of stuff basketball-wise. Are they going to do the red-white game, you think, again in, in Barnhill this year? I, I would think that's I don't know. probably I that. on the, I don't know. potentially on the agenda, but something... Uh, Something that you uh, Arkansas fans get the sentimental value, the fact that Coach Sutton got to be there in attendance right before he passed, I know it was pretty cool for Arkansas basketball fans. Well, you know, Barnhill back then was, uh, you know, <laughs> they had renovated to get it to the point where it was. And uh, they did a lot of work to make Barnhill even what it was in those days. And it was a, uh, you know, it's corny. 
And, you know, people from the outside world probably gag and think it's silly, but, you know, when they carried that spirit, you know, Rob can ceremoniously, you know, have that uh, figurine, whatever you want to call it, and trophy, and ceremoniously carried the spirit of Barnhill down to Bud Walton Arena. And I know that's corny, but anybody who grew up going to Barnhill Arena, Man, the saddest day of the year for me was the last home game. You'd make that trudge up that hill to your car, and it was sad because you weren't going to have any more games to go to. And um, It was a special place now, and Charles was one of those people that made it special. Keeping the, the basketball news going, Eric Musselman again with the media earlier this week. We did get the announcement the Oklahoma game is back in Tulsa. Here's kind of what Must said when it came to that conversation, playing that once again. Well, I read at one point Hunter said it was off, and I thought it was off too. It was discussed possibly playing it in Oklahoma City. It was discussed, are we going to do it or not do it in Tulsa? I think it's great for Oklahoma. I think it's great for Arkansas. I think it's great for the Sooners fan base. I think it's great for the Razorback fan base. I think it's great for Porter Mosier. I think it's great for our staff. So we got that announcement that that game's going to be on December the 9th. We also got the bracket, Chuck, for the Battle of Atlantis. Arkansas is going to play Stanford at 6.30 on November the 22nd. The second matchup will either be Memphis and Penny Hardaway or Michigan and uh, Jawan Howard. And then potentially you could have a third game against the Tar Heels or the Villanova Wildcats. So the non-conference schedule just uh, keeps on hey, getting better and better. Pretty heady stuff right there. Yeah. You hey, think about it'll give that? us something to watch over Thanksgiving. Yeah, you know, this is different. I mean, this isn't Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday like Maui. This is Wednesday, Thanksgiving Day, and Friday. So we'll all have something to watch. You, and he, he references, you think about those three games, you play Duke, you'll have played Purdue, you'll play Oklahoma we just mentioned. They're going to have, you know, we, we think about their teams and in, in not really getting ready till late January, February. They're going to have a, a good barometer, a good idea of where they're at by mid-December. We're not going to have to worry about the net. That's for sure. <laughs> no. That's not going to come into play. No. no. Strength of schedule won't be a discussion. That's going to be okay. And yeah. I, I think he said this earlier this week. It's the toughest non-conference schedule they ever had. It's not close. And not count, that doesn't count Purdue. Yeah. You it, know, that, that's, not a, that's an exhibition. And the good thing is, again, we've referenced it, eight seniors on the roster. Now, he's talked about the positives, only having one bad practice so far this summer. Hopefully, the guys will have some – and they're going to lose a couple of these games. It's just going to happen. But – Again, like you said, you'll have a pretty good barometer of what this basketball team is. I was surprised. You'll have an older team, too, Ty. Yeah. I well, think now, let me say this. Let me say older. this. We've had good schedules here before. I mean, no one played some powerhouses, and Eddie did, too. We've been talking about that win over North Carolina. It's arguable whether it's the toughest schedule no, ever. I'm saying but it's a tough schedule. I'm saying under Mush. Yeah. Under Mush, no question. I, I'm not not referencing some of the, the nope. non-conference days with Eddie and, and Coach Richardson. I'm, I'm just talking about under Musk. That Musk was talking about since he's been here. That's what he said. Um, Those he, are five difficult games. Yeah. He did not, unless I missed it, he still hadn't announced who the third assistant coach is. And that's still not on the roster. My, my I, thought Ruta, I thought Ruta moved up. He moved up. I thought that was last year. Or did I make that up? No, I think you're right. I, I still don't, because uh, with with Arginal, I thought Ruta was already on as an assistant at that. Maybe I, I don't think he was a full-time assistant. Okay. Maybe I missed on that. I think that's uh, also Coach Pittman mentioned this yesterday. It's pretty cool. So Deke Adams, of course, Arkansas's defensive line coach, uh, has done a pretty good job. And we talked about the, the different guys that he's got for his unit this year. His son had his professional debut 
this week. So he's actually out there with that. I thought that was kind of cool. And I know, Chuck, you were talking about trade deadline stuff this week, but I thought it was pretty cool for Coach Adams to get to experience that. Sure. I mean, that's um, that's that's a... I'm, I'm sure for him it was it was a wonderful experience. At Joshua's Fine Jewelry, we specialize in getting you exactly what you want. Custom jewelry, professional repairs. We can even fix eyeglasses and other small trinkets. Now we offer services with a new laser engraving slash cutting machine. We can mark any shape or design you need. Company logos, fingerprints, religious symbols, even actual pictures can be engraved or just cut out into shape and preserved in metal forever. We can also engrave on other materials glass wood plastic just ask you can get what you want without settling for less we can take any design or picture and turn it into a forever keepsake come see nathan and let him tell you all the details you can get exactly what you want at joshua's fine jewelry in beautiful downtown russellville core jewelry Have you tried Benville Brewing's new Space Goose Hazy India Pale Ale? It's handcrafted in Arkansas. You'll taste the great tropical citrus, including the passion fruit, the guava, and pineapple. It's creamy, zingy, and zows the taste buds. It's weird, wonderful, and wacky all at the same time. Try the new Space Goose Hazy India Pale Ale from Benville Brewing. Joe, we were reflecting on Charles Ballantyne and his passing yesterday and uh we really appreciate you making some time for us this morning what are your thoughts this morning tomorrow's not promised (laughs) you know and uh you know just uh last time i saw him we were uh unfortunately we were at ricky norton's you know and uh all we talked about he and daryl and i and eugene nash and Kerry Kelly was, you know, we got to get together. We got to get together. We got to get together. And, you know, um, we never did. And so, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of sad, you know, a lot of good memories, but, you know, just would have liked to see him one more time. Joe, we hear teammates talk about and use the phrase brothers for life. And we hear the phrase a lot, and sometimes it means something to us, and sometimes it doesn't. But there was a bond, and it seemed like that group maintained that bond for a great number of years. And I just wondered if you would talk a little bit about that, the, 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 the value of a teammate as you move through your life. Chuck, I mean, um, I think, you know, like being older and being on a few teams, I think it's the best thing about sports. I mean, it's the it's the best. It's the thing you miss the most is the locker room, uh, the the camaraderie, uh, the traveling together, the practicing together, to going through uh, preseason workouts, going through the good stuff and the bad stuff. But you you're doing it together, so you're all you're all miserable together. You're all happy together. You're all getting cussed out together i mean you're just you know you're you're experiencing something together and it, it bonds you and uh you have your own little uh fraternity uh that you know a lot of people want to get into but can't and uh, and then you get to have experiences like the north carolina game houston game 
uh, just all those things that either make it, you know, stronger and better. And, you know, it's just, it's when you, when you get together and you see, you know, you may not see guys for 20 years, but when you get together, you know, it takes about five minutes to get back in that mode and you start laughing and bringing up this guy and that guy and this coach and that coach and what he did, you know, and all these things. And a lot of it is very, very private that is only shared, that can, <laughs> that can only be shared <laughs> with, with, uh, with your group. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's really special. Big Joe, what, what kind of teammate was Charles Ballantyne? He was, uh, I remember the first time I saw him, uh, and he was with Dudley Dawson and, um, uh, he, um, uh, we were in Wilson Sharp and I looked at him and I was like, you know, man, what a country dude this dude is. And coming from a, a guy from, uh, the big city of Slater, Missouri, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the culture, the, the cultured person that I was, uh, you know, uh, it, but I just remember how how nice he was, and uh, you know, and and you know he was. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I remember when we started playing; he was skinny and uh, really raw. And I remember we started playing pickup games, uh, and he was he would get destroyed. I mean, just and we were all you know we liked him, but we were in the back of our mind. You know, you're like don't know if this this cat's going to make it. I mean, don't know if he's going to be able to play. And to his credit, the next year he was a starter on a a really top five basketball team. And so, you know, his work ethic, uh, his humility, you know, it's just very, he was raised really good. Uh, You could tell that. Uh, And just, uh, you know, but I mean, he, he worked and, nicest person you'd ever see, but he'd rip your heart out on the floor if he had to. Joe Klein with us here on the McClarty Daniel Hotline. And Joe, you mentioned kind of where he was from. He's in Arkansas. And I I always find it curious when you have a a young man like yourself that comes from out of state combined with a young man from the state, what did he teach you about just kind of the Razorback lore? and, And what did you learn from him about just what it means to be a Razorback? Well, I, I've, I've always said this. I think it's so important. I think the more kids you have from Arkansas uh, on any team uh, um, up here, I think it helps. Uh, I help it helps out of state guys like me when you first come in. You see and uh, realize just by being around them and being around their people and their family and stuff. How, what a big deal it is, you know, and how important it is and how sacred it is to be a Razorback. And I think, you know, that really helps uh, guys that, you know, have watched the Razorbacks from the outside but just don't understand how deep it goes. And, um, you know, I think those are the, those are the, the, the greatest things that, you know, in-state kids um, can bring. And, you know, Charles certainly brought that. I mean, he was, you know, just so happy to be a Razorback and wanted to do well. 
you know, he put the effort because uh, he didn't want to let his family down or let the state down. And again, that's something that, you know, you see that and it rubs off on you and you become that as well. Joe, you've done such a good job at this, and I've, I've, I've watched so many former players in the way they handle themselves after their careers are over um, and the way they interact with fans. Charles had a shot that brings back all sorts of memories for Razorback fans, not just the game, but who they were with, where they were. The way he carried that and the way he gave people their moment I always marveled at that. I marvel at that with you, frankly, and Scotty and some of the others. Um, he always seemed to be at ease in that role. It never seemed to be a burden for him. I just wondered if you'd talk a little bit about what he was like after the basketball was done. Yeah, you know, Charles was the same. I mean, uh, which, I mean, he, he was the same person. I mean, uh, he was always good to everybody. He always treated everybody with respect, uh, treated them the same. Uh, you saw that. Um, I mean, I, I, he and I would laugh, you know, when we would have lunch or something every now and then. Um, um, you know, we always, and we always laugh about this even to this day about the North Carolina game. I, I mean, Tom Bluff, what did it see, Chuck, 7,000 people? And, maybe, maybe. Um, I've met 75 that were there. (laughs) 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 And and I I guarantee you, you could probably double that with Charles, uh, them telling him they were there for the shot. And so, uh, you know, but, you know, it it was, I was never uh, not with him somewhere in public and somebody not come up and, talk to him about that shot and he I mean never I mean I never ever at a gas station at a fast food place golf course wherever wherever we might be somebody came up to him and talked to him about that shot and like he just said he looked him in the eye and talked to him and talked to him about the shot and gave them you know let them talk about it and was very appreciative and just, again, you know, I, I mean, you know, that's a testament to him, testament to how he was raised. Uh, you know, he, he valued, uh, you know, he valued people. Um, uh, he didn't dismiss people. Um, and you know, it's just, you know, again, it was, we can all learn stuff by watching other people. And, uh, you know, he certainly, uh, you know, by watching him, how he he was so hum- humble and uh, appreciative of the fans of Arkansas, you know, again, it, it helped guys like me that were coming from out of state, uh, even to this day, to understand, you know, this is it's a big deal to be a Razorback, and there's a certain way you need to act, there's a certain way you need to carry yourself, and this is how you do it. Yeah. Joe Klein with us here on the McClarty Daniel Hotline. All right, Charles hits the shot. The baseline jumper goes in. Timeout is called. The NBC cameras cut to near midcourt where you and Charles are embraced. You got his arm around his neck. What do you remember about that moment, and what did you whisper or maybe even yell into his ear as loud as that building was at that moment? 
I think uh, we were we were hugging, and then we looked up and said, "Oh crap! There's three seconds left." <laughs> 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 no, but uh, I don't know. It was just that that whole game. I tell people all the time. I mean, I have never been in a more intense game uh, in my life. That that game felt like the last two minutes for forty minutes. I mean, we would stop them, and it would be like. You know, we stopped them, and you know it, it was like you stopped them with 30 seconds left in the game, and there was 18 minutes to go in the first quarter. I mean, the first half. So you'd score, and you'd feel good about it, and, and I mean, it just was such a emotional game. And I, I just think, you know, he and I were hugging, like, you know, you know, thank God this thing's almost over. But you know, we had we got to finish it, and but you know, we knew we were in a really good place, and. Um, you know, we were just, we were really, I mean, I think it was just mostly just a lot, just happiness. You know, we were, you know, we knew we had a great shot. We just had to close it out. And, um, you know, I always joked with him. I was like, Alvin should have thrown me the ball and I could have, I could have been somebody, but he threw it to you. (laughs) (laughs) He always, he always, he always liked that. He'd always give me a side eye on that one. I'd be like, you know, I was wide open there in the middle of the lane and now I would throw it to you. You know, I could have, I could have really been something if he had thrown me the ball. <laughs> Joe, I can't think of a, a better place to end it this morning. I know it's, it's been a hard 24 hours, but we really appreciate you making some time for us this morning and uh, sharing about Charles Ballantyne passing at the age of 60 yesterday. Well, you know, tell the people, uh, you know, you love them, uh, call people, you know, tomorrow's not promised. So good guy. Couldn't miss it. Thank y'all. Thanks, Thank you, Joe. Joe. That's, that's kind of where he started the conversation. And it's a, it's a point he, he spoke to them getting together and, and, and trying to do that at some point, but he's exactly right. I mean, I, how many, how many deaths have we mentioned, not just Razorback fans, but people, that have just passed away lately that you think you mentioned and spiral age of 60 chuck you that's what you referred to it earlier well you know the thing that you hear in joe's voice is the personal loss mm-hmm. we feel a loss as fans and we feel as though a part of us has died because we remember where we were and and it sparks memories perhaps of you know loved ones who aren't with us anymore but these guys feel it in a personal way i mean you could hear it and you could feel it literally through the airwaves and um that's um you know that's the bond that's the bond and um it 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 literally lasts until your final day as 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 we've seen in this instance that was good though i i that that was that was good having joe on and uh, authentic Mm -hmm. it was uh it was it was good to hear his thoughts let's go back to the mclarty daniel hotline where robert is here in fayetteville robert welcome in you're welcome to reflect on the passing of charles ballantyne yesterday well, um, I'm just finding this out. I guess I was in a cave yesterday, and I didn't hear about this. Um, really sad about this. I mean, there's two Razorbacks we've lost here recently. Um, I was very fortunate uh, when I officed out of Bud Walton Arena. He'd come in all the time, and we'd visit. And, you know, he's been in the store here on Razorback. We, we visited quite a few times in here, but I can't help... And I know it's going to sound corny, but I, I can't help but wonder about his kids. His kids went to school over in Farmington with my son. Mm-hmm. And I saw him, you know, every event he was there. And 
I think people, you know, they see their their idols, but when you see them as a dad, you don't see them as a as an athlete. It it, it kind of changes perspective a little. Do you understand understand what I'm saying? Absolutely, humanizes them. Yeah, and I just you know don't forget he's got kids, and as as much of a Razorback fan as I am, and and fortunate to get to have met him and everything. And and by the way, guys, he was a sweet person. He was just an awesome human being. Um. But when you see him as a dad, you know, in the stands at an event at a high school, uh, he was that kind of person. You know, he was he was just a really genuine, nice guy. And I loved our conversations, but uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about his kids today. They're the same age as my son. And uh, that's got to be tough because 60 is not that old, mm-hmm. you know. It's got to be tough on his whole family. So that's all I got. I just, I just hearing about this this morning and, not a good way to start your day, but blessed to have known him. That's all I got to say. Thank you, Robert. You, you know, I, I don't really know that this was um, out there for public consumption, so to speak, until later last night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Charles and Dudley Dawson grew up together, and um, I think Dudley was the one perhaps that maybe broke the news on Facebook. I think that others knew about it, and there had been phone calls that had been made, obviously, among teammates and people that were close to him and co-workers and family members and things of that nature i don't know the particulars on how it all you know how the day transpired the times so to speak but um it was i'm gonna guess after some people went to bed last yeah, night yeah before it kind of became public knowledge and he got it seemed like dudley got permission from his family he did. to yeah, release yeah. that publicly and what and robert brings up an interesting point on this so i was reading a story in the in the arkansas democrat gazette his i think it was his eldest daughter that didn't realize how big of a figure charles charles was in arkansas basketball until she came to i think an induction ceremony at Bud Wall Arena, was introduced to the, I think it was Sports Hall of Honor in 2013. So 2013, he yeah. was inducted into the Sports Hall of Honor. And it was and, really... Uh, yeah, the Arkansas Sports Hall of Honor. Yeah, it was really cool to get that perspective for his daughter to realize, man, my dad's, my dad's yeah. cool. My dad's awesome. So I just thought that was a cool tidbit this morning. This podcast has been presented by Bet Online. This podcast is an exclusive property of Pearson Broadcasting. It may not be copied, reproduced, modified, published, uploaded, reposted, transmitted, or distributed in any way without Pearson Broadcasting's prior written consent. Subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network, the best podcast in the natty state. Just search Hit That Line wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.